Praise the Lord. If you turn back over into Judges and the sixth chapter, we were looking at this man Gideon uh, last week, and I want to continue looking on at him in this second part. And uh, this morning's title is God's Plans for These Days. Last week, as God was searching for a man, and this morning it is, where is the God of miracles? Where is the God of miracles? Anybody need a miracle? Praise the Lord, we need to see God's mighty delivering power manifested in the days in which we're in. In verse 12 of Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, this is Gideon, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, when then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, uh, the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And this cry that comes uh, from the heart of Gideon, this was a cry from the very innermost part of his being. It wasn't a cry from his head. It was actually a cry from his spirit. It was a cry that he recognized and had heard the great testimonies of what God had done for Israel in the past. He knew of the great deliverances that God had performed for Israel. And now there's this cry in his heart. The enemy had come and stolen. The people were in disarray. They were in confusion. And really there was this bursting forth from his heart. It wasn't a prayer of frustration. It wasn't anger at God. It wasn't in unbelief. He wasn't waving his fist at God. It was just a man in a field protecting his harvest, but crying out to the Lord, O oh God, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where is the mighty miracles that we have heard of in times past? Our fathers have told us of your mighty testimonies of what you've done for the people. And God, we are asking this morning, where is He's saying, where is the miracles? Where is the, the manifestation of the mighty power of God that we have heard of and our fathers have told us of? It was, it was a cry from the heart. And that's really this morning what I want to speak to you. I want to speak to your heart. I don't want to speak to your head. I don't want us to leave with more information. I don't want us to gather more things and knowledge just per se in our intellect. But I want us to, in the heart of, of the church today, in the heart of God's people, and I believe there's a cry. I believe there's a cry in our hearts when we see what is happening in our nation and in our land at such a serious time. There should be a sobriety with what we're witnessing and what we're seeing. We cannot underestimate what is taking place in, in our nation at this time, but I do believe there's a cry in our heart. We don't understand all things. We don't have a revelation of all things, but we know in our hearts that there is a God in heaven and He is almighty. We know this morning that we are more than conquerors through Him that has saved us. We know this morning that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We know this morning that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But there is a cry in our hearts for the reality, I believe that's the right word to use, a reality 
of the manifestation of the power of Almighty God. And that's what Gideon's cry was. He's seen that the enemy had come in. They had devastated uh, uh, their, their harvest. We, we, he knew that Israel were in a backslidden state. They had turned away from the Lord. That's why all these things had happened. But yet in his heart, he's still calling out to God. He believed that, that, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There was a cry in the very depths of his being, Oh God, we know, we see that the enemy has come. We see the rise of wickedness. But we're looking for the God that we know, the God of miracles, the God that manifests his power, the God that when he manifests and comes, the Bible says that the mountains melt at his very presence. We know we serve a God that's above all the thrones and all the kingdoms of men. We know that he is in control this morning. We know that everything is under his feet, but we want and desire to see God show yourself mighty in this day. And that is the cry of Gideon. It wasn't unbelief. It wasn't frustration. It wasn't that he's waving his fist. It wasn't that he didn't believe in God. What he's actually crying to God in the field, he's saying, God, Lord, look what has happened to your people. Look at Israel. We're overcome now by, the, by, by all the enemy. The enemy's prevailing against us. Lord, we, we know what you've done in times past. That's what the psalmist is actually crying out. He says, we've heard with our ears, our fathers have told us the work that you did in their days, in the times of old. God, we are looking in these days. I live in 2022. I live in this hour. No matter what is happening around us, you're still the same. You're still the Almighty God. You haven't changed. Lord, would you command deliverances for Jacob? Lord, would you break through? That was the cry. And we are in a similar day, a parallel the day to Gideon as our day, where we see that, and I just want to touch on it because I believe it's important, where we see that the rise of wickedness is, is staggering. It's nearly we're come to the point now, is there no bottom to where we are going? Is there actually no bottom in all of this to the wickedness of man? The imagination of his heart is continually wicked and evil. I know that we're told in scriptures that in the last days men will wax worse and worse, but when you see it and when you witness it, and in your spirit you're so grieved at the wickedness of man, how low are we going to go as a nation? I mean, I was sure I'm with with someone we were talking in these lines a couple of days ago, and, and we see that most of the depravity and the abhorrent sins, now that all sin is sin, but now we're into the place of, it's, it's just going deeper into an, a, a deeper place of wickedness and darkness. And friends, maybe just the next thing, because I can't see anything else, is that we'll see bestiality in its abundance. And that's a shocking thing to say, but if I, if I rewind you back to 25 years ago, you would never have imagined the day that we're living in now. We would be shocked that we'd be told of what we're seeing. And we see the rise in immorality, homosexuality. And I say this because I believe it's important to say it's not that we're not people haters, but we see the sin and the depravity. It's abhorrent. And the pedophilia and the transgenderism and the wickedness, the wickedness, the spirit of the age that has infiltrated particularly our young people. And this is not the bash people who are caught up in sin because we know that the blood of Jesus Christ 
cleanses and delivers a man or a woman from all sin, that the power of the new birth is a wonderful thing. But now we see that that spirit of the age has completely overtaken the minds of so many. I remind you that this is the spirit. This is the spirit of Antichrist. This is a spiritual problem. This is not a society problem. It's a spiritual problem. The Bible tells us, if you follow it again, I know you're familiar with these words, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, but I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I feel sometimes, maybe you might feel too, that I preach sometimes the same thing. And I feel like that too, but I must preach what God puts in my heart to tell you the truth and to warn and to watch. To watch. There has to be a watchman that stands on the wall and says, this is what's happening. And even though it's repeated, it's because we're in a day where it seems to be that there's no awakening. The Bible says, Paul writing in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, don't be soon shaken in your mind or troubled by this, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. As the day of Christ is at hand, the day of the Lord is near. He is even at the door. Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is what we understand to be the Antichrist. If you go down to verse 7, this is an important verse in the context of the days in which we're in. The mystery of iniquity, or that is the spirit of lawlessness. It's a spiritual problem. There is a spiritual problem in our nation. The mystery of iniquity is working, he says. But only he that now letteth will let until there come a time, until he be taken out of the way. In other words, there'll come a time in age when Christ is about to come, that the restraint that God puts on mankind will be taken away. It will be lifted. The man will be given over to what he wants to do. I want to put to your brothers and sisters this morning, that is exactly where we are. The restraint, the lawlessness that has come in our generation, that we are now in a time where the restraint that was once there, there was not that everybody was saved. Has there always been sin? Yes. Has there always been these types of sin? Yes. But in our generation, the restraint that has been there has suddenly been lifted. And now we have an explosion of wickedness. Do you see it? Are we living in the same world? Are we witnessing? Are we grieved? Is the church grieved by what we see? Are we so caught up in the age and the hour and with ourselves and with what we're doing that we don't actually witness or see what is happening around us? And many in the church are just asleep to this. It's carry on as usual. It's, it's just keep going. It's fine. We just live our lives. We're just living for ourselves and we're not awakened to the hour in which we come. Gideon was awakened to what was happening. He said, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? It wasn't unbelief. It was a cry from his heart. You see, Israel had backslidden and that was the result of what was happening. These are critical times. It was a time, it was a crisis it was a crisis that wasn't just carry on as normal. It was a crisis. 
Something's happening in our nation. Can I tell you, friends, it's a crisis. Most people don't really think of it that way because it hasn't really affected us yet. And these are critical times. It's in a crisis that there are some, there are some, and it's not just here, but there are some that begin to call out to God from their heart, Oh God, Lord, would you come again? The truth of where we are and the message of what we must bring is in a time when not only had the enemy come, but Israel had turned away from the Lord. God had set forth his plan and his way. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the Antichrist himself, the king of Babylon, the Babylonian system that we are actually currently witnessing rise. It's a financial union. It is an economic union. It is a union that we're witnessing, whether it's through climate, finance, social, right across the board, educational. All of that is a Babylonian system that's rising rapidly. They want to teach their values what they say. They want to teach their values, their system, their ideologies, which is antichrist, right down even to the youngest in our society. They want, as we've seen this week, drag queens standing in primary schools. They want to bring in their wicked ways into the education system. Mr. Spurgeon said the day that we remove God from the schools, that our schools will become the gates of hell. Is that not true? And what happens at this time when Nebuchadnezzar came up in 2 Kings chapter 24, it says that when he came up against the city, Israel, and he besieged it, in verse 13 it says, the first thing he did, I want you to just pick this word up, he carried out thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord. There's a, this word carry. I want you to think about the word carry. Carried away, carried out. The first thing that they did, that they stripped the house of the Lord of its treasures, of those things which were precious and separated and dedicated unto the Lord. We see that he stripped that house of its treasures and carried all the house of the Lord away and the treasures of the king's house. In verse 14 it says that he carried away, there it is again, he carried out, now he carried away Jerusalem, the mighty men of valor. Remember what the Lord said to Gideon, the mighty man of valor. And they carried away all the princes, the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives, and it goes forward. Verse 15 says, And they carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, and those carried into captivity. When the enemy comes, when he has the upper hand, as it were, what happens is everything is, seems to be carried away. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed and to and fro and carried about, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Today, sadly, the reality is that within the church, there's every wind of doctrine that is carrying so many people away. One week we're here and one week we're over there and the next week we're down this way and we'll find another YouTube teacher that we're going with this one this week and then next week someone else is saying this and we're being carried away with all the winds of doctrine. Says men, 
by the slight of men, by the cunning craftiness, where they lie in wait, they're waiting to bring deception to the church. That is the last days in which we're living in. Hebrews 13 and 9 says, Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. Some of the doctrines that have come into the church today, brothers and sisters, strange doctrines. But yet it seems to be multitudes are, are running to these strange doctrines, these wind of doctrines. You see what happens? I want you to listen carefully because this is important. You see, the message has to change to accommodate, to accommodate the church with its change. There has to be a change of the message. There has to be a honing down. There has to be a removal of, of, of the doctrines that we have held dear and believe in and passionately hold to. But in order to accommodate the modern palate and how the church has changed, if we do that, then we have to change the message. We have to not preach the cross, which is an offense. We, we shouldn't preach about sin. We shouldn't preach. This is what they're saying, but not just here and there. This is the masses that are saying all around us, don't preach the cross. Don't preach the blood. Don't preach sin. Don't preach heaven. Don't preach hell. Accommodate the world and we'll get the church to grow. Friends, this is the tragedy of where we are. This has come in over maybe the last 30 or 40 years and everywhere you look, if you look for a moment, if you look and take the time to look, which I have, and it's very easy to do it now with internet, but you see then that there is a branded type of church today. It's branded. The word branded is something that is used in, what do you call that world? I'm not doing much about it, but that... Uh, Corporate world, that's the word to think. PR, public relations. And it's a branded world, it's a branded church. But if you take a time to look at it, it all looks the same. If you go in and beam into America for a moment, you'll see largely it's the same, it's branded in a certain way. The style and the atmosphere is what the focus is. And in the style and the atmosphere and the branding of that church then, that's going to attract the masses, and it does. But what must happen to change, to keep the masses, is there has to be a change in the message. Because you can't preach the cross. You can't preach a life that is separated. You can't preach if anyone wants to be my disciple. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You must change the message to keep the crowds, and the message is being changed. And it looks all the same. It has a carnal mind, and the mind of the church in many ways has become corrupted. That's uh, from the Word of God, it changes how the mind is in the church. So the mind is different. So when you meet someone from that particular area and they've been poured into with this particular modern message and it's branded in that certain way and you start talking about Jesus and your love for the Lord and thank God for the blood, they begin to just look at you for a moment as though you're speaking a different language. We're talking about the cross. 
which is the centrality of the Christian faith. It's our victory. It's our hope and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're saved from a lost sinner's hell. But there's not a hell. Brother, there's not a hell. No, there is no hell. As a man would say recently, he says that you're the son of a king and you're always the son of a king whether you're in the world and in sin and in the deprivation of this world. It doesn't matter. You're a son there or you're a son in the house. I want to tell you that's a dangerous gospel. It's a false gospel. It's another Christ and it's another spirit because there's no repentance. Repentance. They're repentant to believe. And this has been influenced over a generation. I want to tell you, friends, that I know of a surety in my heart that this influence has come through contemporary Christian music. Christian, contemporary Christian music. Hell songs has become the most significant influence upon the church of Jesus Christ, particularly the Pentecostal charismatic movement. It burst onto the scene many years ago, and in its early days, like everything, in its beginning, the songs are good. I think we sung a couple this morning. Actually, if you go back, you can find when it was first way back I can remember, there's a song, this is an old Pentecostal song, I'm going to sing and praise the Lord. I'm going to sing and praise, and then I'm going to dance and praise the Lord. And that's what hill songs were singing a way, way back. Anyone know that song? Three people. And it's a good song. But I want to tell you, friends, this morning, it's been the Trojan horse has been a Trojan horse. Someone said this week that Hill Songs has made a significant international impact by planting churches all over the world and taking Pentecostalism into the digital age. But with success came temptation to do anything to keep the machine running, protect the minister, the ministry, Maintain the rivers of money flowing in, even if it means turning a blind eye to sin or giving excuses for the inexcusable. Let me tell you, friends, listen to me. We're seeing most churches are branded today on what hill songs became. And where the focus is music and where the focus is the man or where the focus is the money, what will follow will be the fall. Every time. Great men who have prophesied of these days that would come and have already gone into glory, sadly have seen their churches changed into such places. And what always follows is a downfall. We have seen this ideology come with the out with the old, out with the old. Everything of the old must go. Everything of the old must go. It's not relevant to the 21st century, and some of it isn't wrong. It's not sinful. I must prefer to sit on a soft seat than one of the old pews. 
But it was out with everything of what was the old. It wasn't just out with the furniture or out with the old music. Let's get rid of the hymn books. It's not a problem to have hymns on a screen or whether you have them in a book. I know it's nice to have them in the old redemption. I think it's lovely to be able to open and read the hymn yourself. But then we have, that's not wrong either. None of those things were wrong. But what was behind all of that was everything of the old was out and everything of the new came in. And then what had to happen was there had to be a change of the message. Now with hyper-grace, you can live whatever way you want. Hyper-grace. God loves you no matter what you do. You can live whatever way you want. You can do whatever you want because it's grace. And what to tell your friends, it's not grace. I know that I might just be the odd one or two that doesn't go along with it, but it isn't grace. The attraction of these churches is now is, is not so much that they preach the gospel, that they preach the truth, but the attraction has been what they're able to present to us on a stage. What advances the kingdom of God? Could I tell you, friends, what it is? The preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching of the cross the preaching of Jesus Christ, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, and one day he's coming, oh glorious day. What advances the kingdom is a church on its knees in a prayer meeting because we have taken out prayer meetings. They call them breakout zones. I don't know what a breakout zone is, but I don't want to go to one, but I do want to go to a prayer meeting. The mind of it all has been corrupted. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, I am, I am jealous over you with a godly jealous, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This is what his cry was to the church at Corinth. But I fear, he had a fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds would soon be corrupted, or that means to be defiled from the simplicity. That word means the singleness that is in Jesus Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, Paul's writing of another Jesus and another spirit that would come, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with them, because when the mind is corrupted, and when we go after the things of ourselves, then it is very easy for those seductive spirits and another message to come, and we'll believe it. Why? Because it accommodates our life. The most important thing today for most is that we must accommodate the masses so we have to change the message. Second Timothy chapter 4, if you turn over to verse 3, 2 Timothy 4 and 3, Paul writes these words, and this is what he says, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. He says, the time will come, not that it might come, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. One of these leading lights is a man by the name of Todd White. You may have heard of him. 
And some of the messages that he preaches, I want to tell you, friends, are from the pit of hell itself. And yet he's this character that people set up and say, have you seen what he's doing? Have you seen the miracles? Have you seen the healings that he's performed? I want to tell you, friends, there will be lying signs and wonders. I won't even repeat what he said from this platform concerning when Christ took our sin upon himself because it is actually blasphemy. I could not repeat what he said. A distortion of sound doctrine. And yet many listen. Many are persuaded. Many are influenced. Many are caught up with the image. Friends, I want to tell you, don't be persuaded by the image. It's the message. It's the cross. You might say this morning, Tim, are you propagating legalism or dead religion? Far from it. If there's ever a cry in our hearts, it's a cry, God, where be all the miracles, the reality, the demonstration which our fathers have told us of? Surely it is an hour and a time to see God move. It is a passion for the glory of God. It's a passion for His honor. It is a a passion for the precious name of Jesus to be lifted up. When Elijah stood on the banks of the river Jordan with the mantle of Elijah in his hand, and he cried these words, Where is the God of Elijah? Was it unbelief? Was it frustration? He had the authority that was given to him, but he was simply calling out to God, Now, God, in our day and in our time, it is time for you to show yourself mighty in the behalf of those heart is perfect toward you. Lord, demonstrate your mighty power. And he struck the Jordan, and the Jordan opened, and God was the God of Elisha, as he was the God of Elijah. And he's your God, and he's my God today. He has not changed one bit, but he's just looking someone to believe him. But don't compromise on the message. Thank God for the living reality of the power of a living God. You see, we either have it on one hand, the branded Christianity that has no room for the Holy Ghost to move, or we have on the other side the legalist the dead and the dry that keep the door closed to the Holy Spirit. But I would rather this morning just cry from a heart that says, God, we need the reality of God in the midst. The psalmist says, if you look at it again, we have heard Psalm 44. What a chapter this is. But he says, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst do in their days. In the days and the times of old, how thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand. Oh, is that not a prayer this morning, Lord? Drive back the powers of darkness. When we see the laws, even this law this week, friends, on Thursday, it was heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, this law. I believe the consequences of it are dire for this nation. And it seems as though everyone carries on. It is a day where it is heartbreaking when a law is passed. You know, I believe the symbolism of it was this. They needed 30 votes to stop this law, the safe access law, to give this realm, this law that prevents the preaching of the gospel or the sharing of the gospel outside abortion clinics. They needed one man or woman 
The symbolism of it is profound. Twenty-nine put their names to that petition of concern. They needed one more in all of that assembly to stop this law going through. And they persuaded and they, and they done everything that they could, those precious brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they persuaded and they talked and they emailed and they had meetings after meetings with born-again believers. And the Scripture comes, I search for a man. I think the symbolism is profound. They couldn't find one more. One man or one woman to stand up and say, I'll put my name to this. When that law came through, those six bills they passed on, on Thursday before they shut the thing down. And it was the last one that went through, I believe. I want to tell you something. What a tragedy. And the world carries on. And they're all heading to Newcastle today for a picnic. And probably most of the church is with them. For the first time in our nation, and on this island and on these islands, there are places by law, parts of this soil, that you can't preach the gospel. And on the same ground, babies will be murdered, and innocent blood will be shed, and the world carries on. And the church is carried away. We have heard with our ears. We have heard. We have heard of great revivals. We have heard of how you've broke through. We've heard of what you've done. And I know all the dates in 49 and 1906 and 1904 and 1859. And you go right back church history, the Reformation, and right the whole way back. We have heard, Lord, what you've done. Lord, you have broke through in times when it was so dark. You've came. We have heard our fathers have told us what work you did in their days, in the times of old. How you did drive back the heathen with your mighty hand. How you did plant them, how you did afflict the people and you cast them out. For they did not get the land the possession of their own sword, by their own strength, nor by their mighty arm did they, did they save themselves. But Lord, it was thy right hand. It was thine arm, it was the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. And then he says, Thou art my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. I want to tell you, friends, how many in this room need the Lord to command a mighty deliverance. The cry came in that chapter. He said, Lord, it seems like we're cast off. There's shame. We've turned back. They spoil us. They scatter us. There's reproach. There's derision. We are a byword, he says. They shake their heads at us. When we're standing there up at Stormont on those, on those uh, steps and those precious men were preaching the gospel and people were going past, you know what they were doing? They were shaking their head. That's actually what they were doing. They were shaking their head. That's what we've become. They just shake their heads at us because... But we have not forgotten you, God. That's what the psalmist said. Verse 20 says these words. If we have forgotten the name of our God, if we have forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to strange gods, shall God not search this out? Shall God himself not come? For he knoweth the secrets of our hearts. Then he says in verse 23, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? 
Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed to the dust, our belly cleaveth to the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Lord, would you awaken? What miracles, what miracles our fathers have told us. Can I close this morning with what I believe the miracles are? If you turn into your Bible over into the book of Acts chapter 2, I want to share this. I know on Monday nights we've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, the mighty miracles of the Lord, the supernatural acts of God. You know, this age began with the mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit came in mighty power back in the book of Acts into an upper room. The Holy Ghost came suddenly. The Bible says there suddenly there was a sound from heaven, verse 2, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the beginning of the church age. The power of God filling a room and filling everybody that was in it. These are the miracles that we've heard of. It's from God's Word. We read that when Peter preached this great sermon, it tells us there in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received, of Acts chapter 2, then that they gladly received his word were baptized the same day. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. This is the same God that we, that we serve. The same day 3,000 were added to the church of Jesus Christ. Has God changed? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? 3,000 souls were wonderfully added to the church when Peter preached that glorious message that day that this promise, he said in verse 39, that the promise, the promise is unto you and to your children and to as many as are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This was the promise of the Holy Spirit that God hasn't changed. He's the same God of Acts chapter 2. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same God. It's the same Jesus. He hasn't changed at all. In Acts chapter 3, we read then of the mighty miracle of a man when Peter and John went to pray at the temple, but this man that was lame, in verse 7, it says there in Acts chapter 3, they took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. The power of God right in to a man's ankles who was lame from his mother's womb, from his, from his birth. And God, by the power of his Spirit, raised up him. These are the miracles that our fathers have told us of that is written in God's Word. We read of these men being arrested, Peter and John, cast into prison, and how they were let go. And then in Acts chapter 4, in the verse 31, I want you to read it. These are the miracles that we're speaking of this morning. In Acts chapter uh, 4 verse 31, when they went back to the church where they were praying in verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the whole place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they all speak the word again with boldness. This is the same God. These are the miracles that Gideon cried out for, but I believe these are the miracles that we are crying out for. God, do it again. Shake the place of prayer. Shake the very building. Lord, move in your mighty power. It says in verse 33 of the same chapter, it says, And with great power, after that, 
He gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord. And great grace was upon them all with great power. Great power was on the apostles as they began to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Ananias and Sapphira, we read of them in Acts chapter 5 where God gave Peter the gift of knowledge at the very moment when they had held back something from the Lord. But it says that Peter speaks and says to them, Satan has filled thine heart the light of the Holy Ghost. And they were struck dead in the very meeting. These are the mighty miracles, the manifestations of God. We see as we move down into verse 12 of the same chapter, that it says there that by the hands of the apostles, many signs, many signs and wonders were wrought in the people. Verse 14, it says, uh, believers were added to the church more. Multitudes, multitudes were then saved. Multitudes, both men and women. Insomuch, listen to this, brothers and sisters, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the very shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. The Bible says, every one of them. The shadow of Peter, it wasn't because Peter was great, it's because he was so full of the Holy Ghost, and that river of life was flowing out of him. It tells us in verse 18 and 19, that they laid hands and laid their hands on the apostles, put them into prison. Some will go to prison. But then it says in verse 19, the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them out. Praise the Lord. What a mighty deliverance. That God's above everything. There isn't anything that's too hard for the Lord. If you go in then, there's a wonderful Chapter, chapter 6 of the book of Acts. I remember years ago, Stephen will remember this. I laugh at it sometimes. There used to be a man and he said these words, God, God, I thought I was just going to be a lowly deacon, but God wanted me to be an elder. <laughs> I want to tell you something. Give us seven deacons like Acts chapter 6 any day. Seven men that were serving the tables, bringing the glass of water in, Trevor, bringing in uh, the, the, the emblems, the juice and the bread. But then, as they were doing the practical duties, they would go out onto the streets and begin to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with the power of God. Men full of the Holy Ghost and power. Give us deacons like that. Stephen, full of faith in the power, the Bible says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 6, he did great wonders and miracles among the people. So it wasn't just the apostles. Listen to me, friends, because you'll hear this floating around. Don't be carried away. That it was just the apostles. Here's deacons, full of faith, done great wonders and miracles. Verse 10 says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Here's men full of the Holy Ghost and the wisdom and the power of God. He preached his last message and with the stones falling upon his body and smashing off his head, it says that he looked up and he seen the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. What a vision! What a way to leave this earth! And then as the persecution began, and it will begin here, therefore, it says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, they were scattered abroad. 
But everywhere they went, you know what they did? They preached. They preached the Word of God. Then one of the other seven evangelists stroke deacons it tells us in verse 6, verse 5, that Philip went down to the city of Samaria. You love this, don't we? And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which he spake, seeing the miracles which he did. What happened? Unclean spirits cried with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed of them. Many taken with palsies. That is a, that is a paralysis with tremors. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this is the power of God. This is the healing power of Almighty God. Paralysis, tremors, tumors, diseases, cancers. Thank God He's a healer today. And they that were lame were healed, and there was great joy. Down to verse 14 it says, The apostles which were at Jerusalem heard what is going on in Samaria, that they had received the word who when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was not fallen on them, but only they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And the apostles laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. We see that this man, Philip, we see that he goes into the wilderness in a time of revival. Verse 39, we know that he baptized that Ethiopian, but then it says in verse 39 that when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Asustus. Do you know what that is? 35 miles away. He was translated. You see, it would be so much easier for us all, wouldn't it? In the church we're living in with all its advancement, take out all the supernatural accounts and acts of Acts chapter 1 to 12. Take everything out and then we have a very tidy religious service. We can do it for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday and everybody's happy. But I want to tell you, friends, we can't take anything from this book because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we see here that he's found 35 miles away. Then we have a key conversion in Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to go through the whole book, don't panic. Acts chapter 9, we see a key conversion, a man who hated the church, a man who detested the church. Do you know when I read this, do you know when I thought? This woman, Claire Bailey, who's brought this bill through, may God save her. Wouldn't that be amazing? That God saves the guilty, the vile, and we all are that. I'm not just saying she's that particularly, but that's what we all are. But wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that the head of the Green Party who's brought this absolutely dreadful law through, if God can save Saul of Tarsus, God can save Claire Bailey. If God can save Saul of Tarsus, he can save you, praise the Lord. Now there's a key conversion. We see the power of God saves Paul the apostle, a key figure in the missionary aspects of the church. We read over into Acts chapter 9 and on down the chapter. We read then of Aeneas. It tells us there in verse 32 that Peter passed throughout all quarters. He came down to the saints that dwelt at Lydda. Verse 33, he found a certain man named Aeneas which had kept his bed eight years with sick of the palsy. Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, 
Make thee whole, arise, and make thy bed. And he arose, praise the Lord, immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. When there's miracles begin to happen and demonstrations of the power of God, you know what happens? People begin to turn to the Lord. And it tells us of Tabitha, verse 40, it says, Peter put forth his hand, she was dead. She was in the upper chamber. Peter arose, verse 39, went with him. When he was come, they brought him onto the upper chamber and all the windows, widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which she made. And Peter put them all forth, kneeled down and prayed and turning to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa. And what happened? And many believed in the Lord. Many believed in the Lord. Wonderful thing happened in Acts chapter 10. A man got a vision of Peter coming. Cornelius was his name, and Peter came very quickly. When he went into that room, it says in verse 44, while he yet spake the words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and when they of the circumcision believed, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured the gift of the Holy Ghost. He did it all again, just like Acts chapter 2, but he did it with the Gentiles too. That's you and me. Church at Antioch had a prophetic word. They seen that there was a great dearth that was about to come. It says in verse 27, In these days of Acts chapter 11 came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch, and there stood one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Do you know we need the prophetic utterance of God? to know exactly what's happening in these days. The gift of prophecy. These are the gifts that we often hear lie dormant. But we thank God he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Peter's delivered into prison, kept in prison. The church prayed. Give us prayer meetings like this. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And you know, brothers and sisters, sometimes your prayers will come knocking back. The Bible says, ask, seek, Knock, but sometimes your prayers come knocking back. Peter's standing at the door. May God save our loved ones in this mission. May our prayers come knocking back. And so we see how the Lord began to move in mighty power. Those first 12 chapters all centered in and around Jerusalem. And then it says in verse, in chapter 13, and this is where I end, in chapter 13, we see there, as they ministered unto the Lord and they fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have called unto them. And they fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. Friends, you continue reading the rest of those chapters right up to chapter 28, you'll read of the great missionary journeys of a man called Paul. That's how it's done. When Gideon cried, Lord, he said, where be all the miracles which our fathers told us of? 
Where are they? Where are those gifts? You know, last Monday night, we had a very special night. Last Monday night, we really had a very special time as we opened the Word of God. We just looked at those nine gifts. Nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit has given to the body of Christ. Nine, nine gifts. I know everyone argues about the gift of tongues. I'm not going to argue about the gift of tongues. Interpretation. <coughs> prophecy. Word of knowledge. Word of wisdom. Discerning of spirits. The gift of faith. The gifts of healing. And the working of miracles. Nine gifts. The Holy Ghost is given to the church. You not say with me this morning, God, where be the mighty miracles that our fathers have told us of? We've seen healing in Monday night. We've seen mountains moved in Monday night. We knew the Spirit of God came into that meeting. I want to tell you, friends, oh, for them much more. It's time, I believe, in our hearts just to cry to God, Lord, show yourself in these days like never before. Show yourself. Young people, don't get caught up in all that stuff. Don't get caught up in all what's on YouTube, the attraction to try and get you involved in some deceptive message and system. Listen, it is a Trojan horse and it's about to fall. Listen, it's about to fall. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Cling to the old rugged cross. You sing all that old stuff, you better believe it, we sing it. Cling to the old rugged cross. Believe in the blood. Thank God for the word. Live a life for God because he's at the door and he is about to come. But the cry is, Lord, show yourself one more time. Show your mighty power in Jesus' name. Let's pray together.